I got home, and uh, Bella had taken a nap. She got up from the nap, and, and I was really excited because she sat in service with uh, my mother and father and got to hear the whole sermon. And normally we have children's church, so she's in children's church. But today she heard the whole sermon. I said, Bella, do you remember what Daddy talked about in church? And she said, um, she said they had to paint the blood on their house. I said, yes, you're exactly right. She says, did you say it was from a lamb or a goat? I said, well, it could be either. And so she says, she says, I remember something. And she ran to her room, and the children have these cards from the Gospel Project. She found her cards, and she came running back in the room with the card that says the Passover. With a picture of the man painting the blood on his doorposts. I thought that was amazing. That a three-year-old can listen to a sermon and remembers a Sunday school lesson and has that accessible. That was a blessing today. But we're going to backtrack a little bit in Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to talk tonight for a bit about the name of God. And what I want you to look to is Exodus chapter 3 verse 13. I'm going to tell you what I think this passage of scripture right here. All scripture is so holy. But this passage right here is particularly holy. Because it's the time in scripture where God revealed what his personal name was. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 13 it says this. Then Moses said to God. Indeed when I come to the children of Israel and say to them. The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Let's read that last verse one more time. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am. Has sent me to you. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in the house of God this evening. Have you ever met someone in the community. Maybe at uh, uh, Denny's or Golden Corral after church. And you ask them. Hey where do you go to church? They say well I go to uh, so and so. It's probably some place you never heard before. You say what's the pastor's name there? And they go. Um. Um. See, that's when you know they, they haven't been much lately. That's a good test. If you want to invite somebody to church, but they say they already have a church, ask them the pastor's name. We were at Best Buy a few weeks ago, and I asked the guy checking us out. I said, hey, do you have a church that you go to? He said, yes, sir. He told me the name. I said, what's the pastor's name? And he said, uh, uh. I said, three seconds, you're up. No fooling me, brother. <laughs> I said, if you don't know the pastor's name, I think you need to find a place where you do know the pastor's name. You see, when you don't know the name of somebody, it lessens your credibility. When you don't know the name of somebody you're supposed to have a relationship with, it lessens your credibility. The question has always puzzled me when God gave the name to Moses of I am. It seemed like it was, I don't want to say incomplete, but it leaves a lot to be wondered So I imagine Moses saying, listen, I'm going to go back to these millions of people and I'm going to tell them that I talked to God. And what are they going to ask me? Well, you talk to him. What's his name? 
What's his name since you talked to him? Anybody could say they talked to God. But if you really did, what's his name? She says, who shall I say sent me? God says, I am who I am. That's kind of troubling. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a name at all. I've always read this and I said, when God says, I am, my response is, you are what? I thought he said, I am love. Tell them that I am love. That would be cool. Tell them that I am holy. That would be right. Tell them that I am good. That would be good. But all he says is, I am. Now, not that you're going to care about this, but this phrase in the Hebrew, I am who I am, in the Hebrew is echyech, asher, echyech. That's a lot of, that's, that's a mouthful. Who sent you? Echyech, asher, echyech. Really? That's his name? Now they're going to think he's more crazy than what he said that he talked to God to begin with. Then he says, you just tell him I am has sent you. Now what happened is, if you know that the, the name of God, uh, uh, our English transliteration, we would say possibly Yahweh. Or if it was translated from Latin to English, then you would say Jehovah. What they did is they took those syllables from the name of God as revealed in Exodus 14, and it made four letters, Y, W, no, I'm sorry, Y, H, W, H. And that's supposed to be the unnameable name of God. What do I mean by unnameable? They would never actually say it. They would never actually say it. Matter of fact, when it was written in Scripture, and a Jew came across the name of God, which we would say Yahweh, the Jew would substitute Adonai, which means my Lord. They would not even read the name of God. Matter of fact, in all of Israel, the personal name of God was only spoken once a year by the high priest. The high priest was the only one allowed in the whole congregation of Israel. Millions of people on the day called Yom Kippur. We studied this called the Day of Atonement. When the high priest went into the most holy of holy room. And he was there in the presence of God. That was the only day anyone in Israel uttered the personal name of God. Now we would say Yahweh. But matter of fact no Bible scholar knows what it actually was. Because Hebrew only listed the consonants and not the vowels. So, so here's kind of a dilemma for us. We don't know what the actual name of God was revealed to Moses in the Hebrew. But we know the translation is, I am. I am. Now, what does that mean by I am? Basically, it means that he is the self-existent being. See, if I say I am Jesse, how did I get that name? Because someone else gave it to me. God existed before... Everything, no one gave him a name. You see what I'm saying? No one gave him a name. He says, listen, it's just me. What's your name? He don't need a name because he is God. He's the one that calls names. Not us calling him a name. I am. I am God. I think that's pretty cool. But here's what I want you to understand. If you meet someone new and you say, hey, I am Jesse. And you say, what's your name? They say, I am. You're like, I am what? I am who? Here's what I want to throw out this evening. Is that in the Old Testament, God, what I believe, if you'll follow along with me, revealed his first name. And I think 
2,000 years ago, they came a holy one sent from God who was about to give his full name. What do we mean by this? John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was sent from God. That word in John chapter 1, verse 1, logos means the full expression. That means the full expression. Let me tell you something. Jesus came so we know God's full name. And here's what I'm going to mean by that. I want you to strap on your safety belts tonight because the train is now leaving the station. And here's what I want to present to you is I want to present to you the I am answer. The I am answer. If you always wondered, why does God say I am? What's that supposed to mean? Maybe you've been like me. Listen, if you think the preachers like have everything figured out, you're far from it. I probably question stuff more than you do. And if you have problems with that, like I am, I don't understand that. I haven't understand it either, but I think we're going to understand it tonight because Jesus came and he explained what that means. And here's what we're going to look at. In the book of John, there was recorded seven statements from Jesus that are called the I am statements. And I think God has seven last names. And I would like to briefly look at them tonight. The first one we're going to look at in the Gospel of John is John chapter 6, verse 35. This will be a neat thing to jot down uh, on your notes somewhere if you've got a copy of the bulletin for this morning. The, these, these I am statements are going to tie into understanding the fullness of who God is. And these are spoken by Jesus. Now, I could go into the background of the fact that every single place Jesus spoke this was in answer to some circumstance. These seven I am statements were spoken in answer to some circumstance going on. But here's the first one I'm going to look at. And as we see the first last name of God, it's in John 6, 35. And it says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That answer comes the answer to a thousands of year old question of I am what? I am the bread of life. I'm everything that you need. I am your sustenance in life. I am what's going to keep you from being spiritually hungry. I am something when you feed upon, it's going to make sure you know everything about me. I am the bread that once you see me spiritually and you understand that it will give you spiritual nourishment, you'll find that everything in life now makes sense because you're satisfied and you've replaced the craving that comes from sin and you've been satisfied through the righteousness that comes from the Spirit. I am the bread of life. When uh, two years ago, I shared this story in Sunday school this morning. Two years ago, I had surgery on my stomach, and I could not eat for 11 days. Now, I fasted before, but that was a choice. And when they said I couldn't have food, it made me angry. And I couldn't have water or food for 11 days. Brother, I'm telling you, thirst and hunger. Thirst and hunger. And I think the, the first thing they gave me was like some kind of pudding. But I don't care what it was. I don't care if you gave me uh, fruitcake, which if you know anything, can't stand fruitcake. But I was just hungry, and I just wanted satisfaction. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted some kind of satisfaction because it was grueling. Do you know that we all have that in our spirit? You have within you... A hunger. And what people will try to do is they'll try to satisfy it throughout their life by some sort of natural circumstance. Well, maybe if I get this job, it'll satisfy me. 
maybe if I get this, this uh, girlfriend or boyfriend or this spouse, I'll be satisfied. Let me tell you, folks, your satisfaction won't come from your spouse. If you're not satisfied in the cross of Christ, the spouse is not going to help you. The spouse is a helper, not a fulfiller. Amen? They try to say, well, if I can have this type of, uh, uh, you know, car or, or, or these type of new, new Nikes or something like that, I'm going to be fulfilled. But what happens is every food that you eat leaves you feeling more hungry. What happens when you eat a lot? Stretches the stomach out. You know what happens the next day? You're more hungry. Think about this. The more you eat, the hungrier you are. When I've eaten a big breakfast, guess what? When it comes dinner time, I want a big dinner. Because my body gets used to big food. <coughs> and when we go through life trying to fill ourselves from some, some sort of natural satisfaction, all it does is make us want more and more and more. I talked with a young man who was... Uh, the Bible talks about people being stoned, but this is not a Bible kind of thing that we're talking about. He liked the, uh, the marijuana. And we were talking about it, and I said, uh, you know, here's my fear. My fear is that that is going to lead you to something else. And a lot of the young people think, well, it's okay. It's not going to really, really mess with my life. But the thing is, sin always makes you want more. You'll never be satisfied with one joint. You'll never be satisfied with one beer. You'll never be satisfied with one hit. It makes you want more. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what he means by that, he explains it. When you come to me, you'll never hunger again. I want you to think about that spiritually. Never hunger. You know the problem is, we've got some buffet Christians who have seen the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but still think it's okay to feed upon the lusts of the flesh. You can't take a Christian, let me tell you, let me tell you, you take a, a, a prize fighter athlete or a bodybuilder who's down to 0.7 body fat and they're getting ready to do their show and they've ate five peanuts for four days. This is my uncle did bodybuilding. He knew at 3 a.m. in the morning he had to wake up and eat six peanuts. At 12 o'clock, he needed to drink four ounces of skim milk. Now, let's take that person in that type of condition. I'm talking about the epitome of fitness and send them to Golden Corral. They come out with a belly. It's not a six-pack, but a keg. Right? That makes no sense. Why would a Christian who's had the satisfaction from the bread of life still need to be hungry? We don't. Because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the thing. If you don't feed on the bread of life, you're still going to be hungry. Where does the bread of life come from? I'll tell you the first place it comes from. Right here. Folks, this is the spiritual buffet table. One of the speakers this week at the conference, he talked about a Christian pastor that came to a convention. And he, the Christian pastor said, listen, I've went to coffee shops and, and prayed about what I was supposed to have. He even said the guy forgot to bring his Bible to preach. And the speaker said, I've, I've went walking five miles to try to pray for what the Lord would have me to say. I've sat at the coffee shop and I just don't feel like God has given me a word. And this guy, his name was David Platt, he said, I looked at my Bible... And it has 66 books. 
And he told in his mind, he said, you know what that speaker should have done? He should have just opened to one of them and read it. Don't matter if it's Leviticus, Malachi, James, Hebrews, or Revelation. There is always a word. And for a preacher to think that God doesn't have something to say to a group of people is beyond me. Maybe if he would have brought his Bible first, he would have thought he would had something to say. You know why? Because you have to look here. I thank God, since I've been in ministry for 10 years, I've never once had sermon writers block. If you like baseball, I can come up to you and always talk about baseball. Let me tell you, I never have a problem talking about Jesus. You don't have to give me a new topic because if you give me a chance, you come me Monday morning, you and me show up at your work center and they're going to have a devotional. Guess what? I'm going to talk about Jesus. I will have something to say because God has something to say. The Spirit has something to say. The gospel has something to say. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I know I got six more of these to go. Working on time management here. Looked up at my invisible clock. Let's look at John 8, 12. Second last name of God. John 8, 12 says this. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what's amazing? God answers every question you have. When you have a question in scripture, if you will keep reading, there will be an answer. I am the light of the world. One time, I was at a, a college conference. We, I was part of a singing group that traveled. And we went to some stay at some guy's house at the beach. And we went and walked on the beach. And we came back. And it was so pitch black, I couldn't even see my way through the branches. And I was coming through the branches. Could not see my hand in front of my face. And my buddy was hiding in the bushes. And jumped out. And I screamed like a seven-year-old schoolgirl. You know Why? Why was I so afraid? Because I didn't have a light. I didn't know what was behind the bushes. Could have been a wolverine. Could have been a boogeyman. But he scared the, the, the daylights out of me. You know what happens when you have a light to walk with? When you have a light for the world, you don't have to fear. You know what happens when you go through life and maybe you wake up at, at night and you're trying to go to the bathroom and what happens is you stub your toe on the bedposts, those metal bedposts. Like, why would they even design it that way? Hide it under the bed? Do you need an engineering degree to figure this out? Put it underneath because I'm going to break my toe on it. And then you don't, you don't say a cuss word, but you write it down. Why do you do that? Because the light ain't on. You can't see an obstacle. You can't see an obstacle if there's no light to reflect it. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, it means he's going to show you every obstacle in your path. You know what the light also does? I'm going to tell you what. Tonight, go outside, go in the woods at 2 a.m. And see how beautiful the leaves are. Unless you have infrared vision, you're going to have a tough time. Let me tell you what the light also does. Not only does it expose obstacles, it also exposes beauty. Why is the sunrise so pretty? When you go to the beach, you see the sunrise because it comes up and it shows you the miles and miles of beautiful water and clouds in God's creation. Light exposes obstacles, it also exposes beauty. 
When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he says, when you see me, you're going to see how beautiful my creation really is. You're going to see how beautiful life every, how, how life really is. Let me tell you what, if you've been changed by the grace of God, every single breath you take is an act of beauty. That God has kept you alive and in his divine wrath did not kill you 15 years ago because of your sin. Thank God I'm still, if I drop dead tonight, listen, it's not because I didn't deserve it. It's because he said, listen, time's up. Time's up. Every day we wake up is a divine opportunity for beauty. And I am the light. Through him we see the obstacles, the lies of the devil. And we see the beauty of the cross and creation. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 verse 9 says this. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. If you watch the episode of the Bible, whenever they came to Jericho, what happened to Jericho? They closed the one gate to the city. And guess what? A fortified city back in those days had one gate. One in, one out. There was no other way but the gate. But the main door, when Jesus says, I am the door, he said, listen, the kingdom of God is a fortified city of righteousness forever. And there's not a second back way entrance. There's not a roundabout way your GPS is going to take you to. I am the door. I saw somebody's car. It had a bumper sticker of a well-known church in the area. Oh, by the way, next weekend we'll have bumper stickers. It says, got friends. Friendship Southern Baptist. Y'all ever seen that t-shirt called Got Milk, the advertisement? So our bumper sticker says, Got Friends, Friendship Southern Baptist. They'll be here next week. That's besides the point. I saw a car that had a bumper sticker of a well-known church in the area. Well-known evangelical church. And then they had a bumper sticker that said, Coexist. Y'all seen that bumper sticker? What does coexist mean? It has every symbol of the religion. And the theme of coexist is, hey, we can all exist here together. You want to worship Buddha? You know what? I'm not going to judge you. Let me tell you something. If you don't judge someone for worshiping Buddha, you don't know what the cross has done. Jesus didn't say, I am the door, but there's a window named Buddha. There's another cross space named Muhammad. There's another place over here named Vishnu Krishna from Hindu. No, he said, I'm the door. The only way is through Jesus. It is not arrogant of Christians. People, call, people say we're closed-minded. Let me ask you, for all and all eternity, when somebody in the lake of fire sees the majesty of Jesus, they will say to us, you were not closed-minded enough. That's true. Because the gospel says, Jesus is the only way. I'm the gate. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Man. So go to John 10, 11. A few few verses down. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 
evidently in their society there were bad shepherds who really didn't take care of the animals and who didn't care if they died and who were just out there making a buck and they were just going to raise some animals and didn't care if they caught diseases, didn't care if they fell over and didn't have enough good grass to eat. Didn't matter if a wolf came because you know what, I've got 99 other ones so who cares if the wolf gets one. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I will protect my sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What he means by this is there were some shepherds that were contracted by either a landowner or by a stock owner. And the stock owner says, I'm going to contract you to take care of a hundred sheep. And if that shepherd was a good shepherd, and if there was a wolf that comes to that sheep, the good shepherd would come out front and take on the wolf for the protection of the sheep. The bad shepherd would say, "Uh uh-oh, wolf here, let me go around the backside, take your pick, big bad wolf, huff, huff. The good shepherd steps forward. Ain't it? You can write that one down. <laughs> I'm just messing. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Matter of fact, sometimes in the cold, they would bring the sheep into some kind of uh, big tent structure, and the shepherd would literally lay at the door of the tent so no sheep could come out and no predator could come in. And if a predator came in, then the shepherd would die. The shepherd gave his life for the sheep. You know why Jesus is a shepherd? Because we have the IQ of sheep. You know, Jesus could have said, I'm going to create a flock of eagles. I'm going to create lions. No, he calls us sheep, and we deserve it. Because sheep have the brain like the size of a peanut. And they're not very smart. And, and they get, they, uh, Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. But the good shepherd comes and rescues the lost sheep. Even if it cost his life, and guess what it did? Moses says, I am. The whole way he's walking, I am what? I am. Self-existent. I am. What, is, what are they going to think? Thousands of years later, here's what we can think. I am good. The good shepherd that will lay down my life for the sheep. One chapter over to John eleven twenty-five. By the way, we're on point five, only two more to go. Like a fat man through barbed wire, two points, we're done. John eleven twenty five says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I wish I could go through the context of every one of these verses. Let me just mention the context here. He's standing right there with Martha, whose brother just died. And she's standing there with the Son of God, with the holiest person in the universe, equal with the Father. And she says, listen, I know Lazarus will be resurrected at the last day. She's standing there in the presence of God Almighty. And she's worried about seeing her brother again on a last day. You know what Jesus says? I am the resurrection. It's not about a future kingdom. It's about a now kingdom. You've got the whole fullness of the Trinity. You've got the whole fullness of everything about God standing in front of you. And you're worried about a future event. You know what we say? I can't wait till Friday. Man, I can't wait till my... I get to get away from that mother-in-law or father-in-law. I can't wait to see my family on Easter and get it over with. Oh, I can't wait to go on vacation because then I can really experience life. Do we say that? 
I can't wait till I get that promotion because then it's going to be real. Say that. But the thing is, we have the fullness of Jesus right now available to us, and we're worried about a future event. Jesus says, listen, I am the kingdom. The kingdom won't be made better by what you achieve, by what you succeed, by something that happens, by who you're around, who you're not around. The kingdom is made through me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. William Wallace uh, uh, stood in Scotland one day on a, a castle in Scotland, overlooked the hills of Scotland and seen a statue rise above the ground about 70 feet. And it's a memorial to a man named William Wallace. He said a great quote. All men will die, but not all will live. How small a percentage of people in this world, in history, think about it right now, 7 billion people, how small of them have ever lived? Only the ones who've seen Jesus, because Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Number 6, John 14 Verse 5, Thomas asked him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Thomas' question was, God, wherever you go, how will I know which way to go? How will I know the direction? How will I know the map? You know what Jesus says? I am the map. I am the path. You don't have to find the path. I am the path. I am the way. What is God saying to Moses back then? I am. He says, Moses, listen, it don't matter if you're in the desert. You found the fullness of God in what you have right here because I'm personally dwelling with you. I am the way. What was Israel concerned about? For 40 years, how are we going to get to the promised land? Can I, can I offer something today? As soon as God's spirit dwelt in that temple, the tabernacle, they were in the promised land. It doesn't matter if you had manna or quail, you had God. That was the promise. They were worried about the promised land instead of the promise keeper. Instead of the promise maker, instead of the promiser. We always look at the benefit instead of the blesser. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Someone says you're a closed-minded, arrogant Christian. I say, well, talk to Jesus because he said it. Turn to John 14, 6 and share with them. These are the words of Jesus. So many people think Jesus was a good prophet. Muslims think Jesus was a good prophet. Did you know that Muslims believe Jesus will be the one who judges people on the day of judgment? You know what I told my Muslim friend? I said, you're exactly right, brother. But the standard of judgment will be much different than what you think it is. Because they think he's a prophet and he'll judge people at the last day. But he's not going to judge you depending on how many people you blew up or, or, or how many times you prayed down and you pointed towards the east. Let me tell you what, God is everywhere. I don't have to point to a direction to pray to my Father. Isn't that good? I can point north, south, east, west. I can point 36 degrees northeast if I want to pray to God. But Jesus will be there at the last day. He is the truth. No one comes to the Father but through him. Let's look at the last point. John 15, 1. <clears throat> got to get home so we can watch the Bible 
<clears throat> Jesus says, John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine. I'm not a horticulturist. I'm not a gardening pro per se. But I know that in variations of planting and pollination with certain things that pollinate with what? Things change over time. Vines change over time. And what has happened through history is people have found a vine of religion, but it's been pollinated with the lie of the devil. And they found some sort of truth which says Jesus is a good person, but then their relationship was pollinated with the lie of the devil, and now it says that Jesus and the, uh, Satan were brothers. Who said that? The Jehovah's Witnesses. They found a good vine that says Jesus is the only way, but it was pollinated with the lie from the devil that says, you still have to earn your righteousness. Who says that? The Mormons. You see, there's no vine that has changed through the years and has made a religious system, even if it was what the the Jews thought about the Old Testament. They thought they had the vine. They had the tradition. But Jesus says, I'm the vine. If you don't grow off of me, you don't grow. I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. You know what they would do? Is that the choice vines that they want to continue in the strand, they would graft in to the true vine. Jesus is saying you must be grafted in to me. You must grow off of me, be attached to me, or there will be no fruit that you produce. I am the only vine. Here's what I want to put in the context of this. We've went through seven names of God, but I want you to turn one last place. John chapter 8, verse 58. You're like, Pastor, you've went, you've went a long way today. You've told me God said a first name. Now Jesus says the last name. How can that be? God the Father says this. Jesus the Son says this. I want you to look at John 8, 58. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Let's look at 57. John 8, 57. It says, The Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you claim to have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now in the Hebrew, it was Echye, Asher, Echye, I am. You know what Jesus said in the Greek? He said, Ego, Ayemi. I am. See, Jesus didn't say, before Abraham, I was there. Because that would have implied time. Jesus said, before Abraham, I am. And it says, once he said that, verse 59, they took up stones to throw at him. You know what he did when he said that statement? He was equating himself with God. He said, before Abraham, was me. I am. Jesus was the full expression of the Father, revealed in flesh. And when we look at Jesus, we'll understand everything that God was trying to tell them in the Old Testament, but they were blind to it. So guess what? He came down and did it himself. He said, this is everything. This is everything. Grace, compassion, mercy, love, humility, submission, obedience, righteousness, everything was seen in the person of Jesus. Let's review. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. 
I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. But let me tell you something. His name is still I am. There's none other before him. Be none other after him. He's the Alpha, Omega, the first and the last. When we can grasp a hold of the identity of the person of God, the Son of God, we can say, it's not about who am I. It's about I am. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your character which was revealed in the pages of Holy Scripture. And that we as your people can look into the pages of Holy Scripture tonight. Which your Holy Spirit penned for us to read thousands and thousands of years later. And as you stepped foot on this earth and revealed who you were. We can now look back into this true word of God which never changes. And understand you who never change. That God you are the self-existent one. God you are the first and last. The creator. The good shepherd. You laid down your life for your sheep. And my prayer today is that we as your people would go from this place transformed by the name of the Son of God. We would understand your willingness to die. We would understand the lengths at which you went to Calvary. God may we be empowered Christians. Not because of who we are. But because of you are. You are the great I am. We ask this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen.